Well, let me uh, open us up in prayer and we'll get started this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are here with us. And we thank you, Father, that uh, you have an incredible desire to transform us, to change us into the men that you've called us to be. That's what this is all about. You transforming us into the image of your son. And Father, we come here this morning and we ask that that's exactly what would happen this morning. That as we listen and as we hear from you and from your word, that you would transform us. Father, thank you that we don't stay the same. That we are always changing. We're always being transformed into the image of your son. But Father, sometimes we fight it. Sometimes we refuse to let it happen. And I pray that today we would let go and allow you to do what only you can do. Help us to answer the call. Help us to get into the game and serve you and watch what happens. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for Mark and his uh, efforts in preparing the meal that we've had. And I pray that you would be honored by all that is said and done this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, just as a a little bit of a review from last week to kind of get you back up to speed, we've been talking about this issue of calling. Uh, We've basically been calling it get into the game, step into the game, be a part of what's going on, get in on the action. We've established the fact that every one of us as believers are called. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are called. And it's more than just called to heaven. You're called to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And we looked at who does he call. And this this is a great reminder to you and me that, you know, he doesn't just call the gifted. He just just call the talented. And we looked at last week. The list of who gets called is pretty amazing. It's the not so wise, which includes a lot of us in this room. It's the non-influential, the uninfluential, those who maybe don't have a lot of money, have big businesses, don't live in huge homes. It's the uninfluential. It's the non-noble. We're not born in a noble noble birth. We're not from the well-to-do side. It's people like us. It's also the foolish. He calls the foolish. He doesn't just call the wise. He calls those who, in the eyes of the world, look foolish. He calls the weak. He calls the lowly. He also calls the despised. And last but not least, he calls the nobodies. That's who he calls. So we can't use the excuse anymore that, well, I'm just not gifted. I'm just not talented. I'm just, I don't have what it takes. Yes, you do. You fit the criteria. If you are his child, part of his kingdom, you are called. And there is a purpose for that calling. We looked at last week the fact that he first and foremost calls you and I to what? Not something to do, but to a relationship with him. That's what it's all about. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. He's called you to a relationship with him. And then he wants you to get to know him before you start serving him. What we do is we we get it out of whack, don't we? You know, we want to just start serving. We, we want to just, okay, I want to do something for God. But we don't even have a relationship with him. We don't spend any time with him. But man, we're all, we're all about being busy and getting something done. But no, he wants you to get to know me 
before you start to try to serve me. It's the pattern. If you go back and look at all of the men God used in Scripture, it always started with a time to get to know him. What did he do with Paul? When he converted him from Saul, the persecutor of the church, and he became Paul, he sent him away for a period of time into the wilderness to get to know God long before he ever served. And it's a pattern you see over and over again. You see, it's, it's all about him. In the church today, in, in the global church, it seems to be all about, many times, the leader. It's, it's all about who stands up in front. It's all about whose name is on the marquee of the church. But it's really not about the leader. It's all about him. It's all about God calling you. He called you to himself. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. He called you to come to know him. That's why he saved you, is that he wants a relationship with you. He's not looking for workers. You know, we have this kind of misconception that God, God is just out hiring employees because he's got stuff he needs to get done. Does God need you to get anything done? I hate to break the news to you, but no, he doesn't. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. What he wants is a relationship. What we get is the blessing of being used by him. But first and foremost, he wants you to come to know him. He wants you to watch him work through you. And there's nothing more exciting. And and over the next weeks, we're going to have different guys come up and share how God is working through them. And I, I guarantee almost every one of them will say that the real blessing is just that God would use me in any way. And I get to see the power of God through my life affecting the lives of others. He wants you to see his power in your life. You know, we all love to hear stories of God's power, how God's doing great things. And you hear missionaries come back from the mission field and they talk about just amazing stories of God's power revealed to men and women overseas. And we sit and, ah, man, I'd love to see that here. Or we read the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see these incredible stories of the power of God manifesting itself. And we think, man, that if I could see that. I'd really, I'd have no trouble with my faith. But the truth is, we should be seeing that. We should be seeing the power of God manifested in our lives every single day. But the problem is, what do we do? We take care of all of our own problems, don't we? We we just solve it ourselves. We have enough money, we have enough resources, we have enough wisdom to just try to take care of it. And we... We kind of push God to the side and we don't allow him to work. And yet he calls us because he wants to show his power to us and through us. He wants us to experience his presence every single day, all throughout the day. Not just on Sunday. You've probably gone to church on Sunday and, you know, maybe one Sunday there's just a a certain message or a certain song. And you walk up, man, man, I just really felt the presence of God. And you know what that feeling is like. But God wants you to feel that. Every day, all day, his abiding presence with you through every circumstance and every situation. And then he wants you to enjoy his blessing. The blessing of God in your life. You know, if you're part of this church and you're going through the, uh, the new fall campaign, this is a lot of what we're, we're going to be talking about the next five weeks is, is the idea of The blessings of God, to know the blessings that God has for you and I in our lives, 
true happiness. Not what the world offers, but what he offers. And that's really what he's offering you and I is, hey, come into a relationship with me. I've called you to get to know me so I can work through you and so I can bless you. That's what he wants for every guy in this room. Well, what's he called us to? And that's what I want to kind of camp on this morning. What's he calling us to? He's calling us first and foremost to himself. So what is this calling? Well, first of all, it's a higher calling. It's a higher calling than anything anybody in this room does for a living. And we've got every occupation pretty much covered in this room. You guys do a lot of different things. Some of you are retired. Some of you have just started your careers. But you have been called to something greater than what you do for a living. Something great. It's a higher calling. And I want to talk about two different kinds of callings this morning. Two different kinds of callings. So I want to make this real perfectly clear. In no way is what you do for a living second class or not important. And in no way is being a minister more important than what you do. Being a paid professional. That's not the point and that's not the issue. But there is a primary calling that I want to talk about this morning. A primary calling that involves every man in this room who has a relationship with Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Primary calling. That primary calling, what's important about it is that it's by him, he calls you. It's to him, you're called to him, that relationship we just talked about. And it's all for him. It's not about you. He's called you to himself, and it's all about him. It's for his purposes. It's for his will. So you have a primary calling on your life. As soon as you, whether you walk the aisle, whether you've gotten next, next to your bed and prayed a prayer of salvation, however that transformation took place in your life, you have been called by God Almighty. And it's by him, to him, and for him. And we are called to someone First and foremost, we said this last week, and I'm going to keep saying it because it is so critical. You have been called to him. You know, many of us are, are sitting there waiting for, okay, what am I, what are you calling me to? Now, there are men in this room, there are women in this church that, that have been called to the mission field. You know, I used to fear that with every fiber in my being as a kid. I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad, he's here this morning, and we used to have missionaries in our home all the time. And I, I almost hated having missionaries in our home, because it was just, I thought I was going to catch whatever they had. Because you know, they're always enthusiastic, they're always talking about the mission field, and I did not want to go. Because typically what they talked about was, they suffered a lot. You know, it was tough out there. They weren't always well accepted. They had to learn foreign languages, and I was struggling with English, and you know, I didn't want to go to the mission field. And I, I really, my mind as a young kid growing up in the church was that that's what God was going to do to me. There's going to be some kind of punishment. You know, if you don't live up to my standards, I'm going to send you to the mission field. And so I, I feared going to the mission field. I feared being called into service for God. But first and foremost, I'm called to him. Don't worry about the to-do list. Just get to know him. So that's your primary calling. It's not to something and it's not to somewhere. You know, okay, God, where do you want me to go? 
I know it's going to be Botswana. I can't even spell it, but I know that's what you're going to do. You're going to send me to Iraq. You're going to send me to Iran. You're going to send me someplace I don't want to go, a language I can't learn. I know that's what you're going to do to me. Don't worry about that right now. Worry about getting to know him. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, I, a prisoner, this is Paul speaking, for serving the Lord. In other words, he's locked up in jail for serving the Lord. Hadn't happened to me yet. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body. We have the same spirit and we have all been called to the same glorious future. You have been called by God. You've been called to God. That's your primary calling. You know, there there are sadly to say, I believe men and women in seminaries all across this country who have no business being there. Because they haven't been called to that. They've called themselves. There are missionaries overseas who probably have no business being there because they haven't been called by God to be there. And they've bypassed the relationship and gone directly into just serving. And that's why many of them burn out. That's why a lot of young men get out of seminary and they get a pastorate and they burn out and they drop out and they go into the business world. Because they never got the relationship down first. They went straight into service. I'm going to do great things for God. No, just get to know him. And then let him worry about whether he wants you to do great things or not. Get to know him first. But there's a secondary calling. And this is important as well. But remember, it's secondary. What's your secondary calling? It is for you and I to think, to speak, and to act for him in everything we do. Now notice, it doesn't say to be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. It's to whatever you do. And I don't know what half of you do in this room. But whatever you do for a living, however you pay the bills, whatever you do, think, speak, live, and act for him. That's your secondary calling. Primary calling is to have a relationship with him. Secondary calling is in whatever you do throughout the day, do it for him. Do it for him. I love Colossians 3.17. This is from the message translation. It says, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Let every detail in your lives. You know what we do, guys? And this is something that's kind of hit me over this last summer is we compartmentalize our lives in a a big way. And I've always believed that, but it's kind of gotten clarified for me. Uh, I think there are three aspects to your life and my life. Every man in this room, we have our personal life, which is our leisure time, our recreation time. Um, We have our home life. If you're married, you've got a wife and kids. Uh, If you got your work life. So you got really those three things, work, home, and personal. And they're like three spheres in our lives that somewhat interconnect, maybe in some lives more than other. But see, what we do is, and I'm guilty of this as minister to men in this church, is I look at your personal life and I think, okay, i got to impact his personal life. And if I can get a little bit of his personal life, if I can get him in the Word in his personal life, 
It'll make him a better dad. It'll make him a better businessman. It'll make him a better father. It'll make him a better everything. But you know what I'm convicted of is that you are a spiritual being. Not just in your personal life, but in your whole life. Every aspect of your life. And what what this is saying is that in every detail of your life, whether it's home, work, personal, pleasure, do everything with an eye towards Jesus Christ. Do it for His glory, His good. No matter what you do for a living, it's all about Him. That's your secondary calling. That way, if you change careers, you know, for 29 years I was in advertising, now I'm working for a church. Guess what? The calling was the same when I was in advertising. Let everything you do be done for the glory of God. Every detail of every day. And you know what? What I do here at church is no more important than when I'm at home with my kids. It has no more influence or importance than spending time with my wife. It's all treated equally. That's my secondary calling. My first is to Him. My second one is to make everything I do bring glory to Him. We are His representatives. We represent God in whatever we do. Think about that. In everything you do, you represent Him. When you're mowing the yard, you represent God. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, Saturday, I, I, I go out to, uh, or Monday, I go out to mow my yard. That's my day off. So I'm going to get the yard mowed, and last week, my mower broke. So I had to get a new mower. This week, my edger breaks. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I get this from my dad. It's kind of a disease, but I'm a do-it-yourselfer, and I tried to fix it myself. You ever talk, taken apart a edger, you know, the engine? You know, it looks real simple. It's really not. And I... Got it halfway apart, and there was oil and grease and everything, and I couldn't get it to work. And so I took it into the shop, and the guy, as soon as I walked in and showed it to the guy, he just, what did you do? <laughs> I, I was trying to fix it, and he goes, well, it's going to cost you more for me to put it back together to try to figure out what's wrong with it than to just go buy a new one. And the guy looked at me like I was an idiot. That's the part I really hated, more than the money. I just didn't like the look he gave me, like, you're an idiot for taking this thing apart. And so I got to buy a new edger. I did not reflect God that day. I I really didn't bring glory to God in the way I handled that situation. I was not real happy. I was bent out of shape. My wife saw it. My kids saw it. We represent God in whatever we do. And I don't care what you do. Everything has to represent him. Look at this from 2 Corinthians. So we are the representatives of Christ. As if God was making a request to you through us, we make our request to you in the name of Christ, be at peace with God. Paul is saying we are his representatives, but I don't think Paul's just speaking about himself. He speaks on behalf of all of us. We are representatives of God here on this earth. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his, his mouth. And so when people look at you... You are the representation of Christ. That's kind of scary, isn't it? What a responsibility. That's your secondary calling. Pretty important. Pretty significant. So here's what you and I are called to be, guys. We're called to be godly fathers. 
you're sitting there going, well, I know that. But do you really? Do you really understand that you are called to be his representative as a father? What an incredible responsibility and role that is for every one of us. If you are already, or if you are yet to be one, or if you're a guy who's got all grown kids, you're still to be a godly father. You're called to be a godly husband. And I'm not going to go into detail what that means, but I think you know what that means. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're to be a godly businessman, not just a good businessman. Everything you do in business should bring glory and honor to God, no matter what kind of business you're in. If you're an employee, you should be a godly employee. Not a complaining employee, not a bickering employee, not an employee that takes advantage of his employer, but a godly employee. If you are an employer, you should be a godly employer. You should not take advantage of your people. You should be fair in how you treat them. Everything you do is to be done for his glory and honor. You're to be a godly church member. That sounds like, you know, well, aren't we all? I'm here to tell you, no. Not everybody who goes to this church is godly. Including some of us on staff at times. We don't always act the way we should act. We don't always react the way we should react. We don't always handle difficult situations the way we should. We don't always handle people in the church who who wrong us, who say things about us. We should be godly in all that we do. If somebody comes into this church and they walk by and maybe you're talking to a friend and you're complaining about something. Or you're bickering about the sermon. I didn't like the sermon. I hated that song. I didn't like the music. And if a, if a stranger just came up and stood behind you, would they be attracted to this fellowship? Are our, is our speech godly? The things we talk about, even on Sunday morning. This is what we're called to be. So in other words, we're to be godly. Bankers, bakers, candlestick makers lawyers, IT guys, whatever you do, you are to be godly. That is your secondary calling. It's not, I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to be a this. I'm called to be a that. See, we, we, we link calling to something related to the church or full-time Christian service. That's a great thing. It's a worthy thing. But you are called. First, to a relationship with him. Second, to be godly in all that you do, whatever you do. Whatever you do. You could lose your job tomorrow and you're still called to be godly. And guess what? Your identity is not what you do for a living. Your identity is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you lose your job tomorrow, it doesn't change who you are. If your income is cut in half tomorrow, it doesn't change who you are. It will change your lifestyle, but it doesn't change who you are. And it doesn't change your calling. Our secondary callings, whatever we do, are our response to God's initial summons of us. That's why if, if, uh, let's say I'm, uh, I'm in the advertising business. I'm lost as a goose. Don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm living completely apart from Christ and I'm in the advertising world 
And I'm unethical. I'm immoral. I do things I shouldn't do. I say things I shouldn't do. I go places I shouldn't go. I don't treat my wife with respect. I don't lead my kids like I should. And suddenly, Jesus Christ calls me to himself. And my life is transformed from the inside out. I'm still in the advertising business. But what should happen? I suddenly am no longer an immoral, unethical advertising guy. I'm living for Christ. I'm doing the same thing I've always done, but I'm doing it differently now. I have a different purpose. I have a different calling. It's not advertising. It's living for Christ. And I happen to do advertising for a living. See, that's, that's what changes. That's why people, when they get saved and they go back into their workplace and people go, what, is, what has happened to you? You're not the same anymore. You're right. I have a different calling. I have a different purpose. I'm still doing what I do for a living. This is how I pay the bills. But I have a higher calling. A higher calling. It's our response. Here's the challenge it's going to put on you and I. How do you keep the primary calling your highest one? Because if you're like me, what you're, what you, we talked about this last week. We are so prone to want to do stuff. So how do we keep the primary calling the highest one? I am called first to a relationship with him. We've established that. Then that relationship should always result in a life of calling. In other words, as I get to know Christ better and I grow deeper in my relationship with him, it transforms everything about my life. I become a better husband. I become a better dad. I become a better friend. I become a better employer. It transforms, but it starts with the relationship. And I can't stress that enough. We have got to work on the relationship. With Jesus Christ. That means you're going to have to spend more time with him. That means you're going to have to talk to him more. That means you're going to have to listen to him more. And don't go out and just get busy for him. Because sometimes we get so busy, we miss him. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther. The works of monks and priests. Now keep in mind, Martin Luther, Reformation, long time ago. Different context, but listen to what he says. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous, not holly, but holy, holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured by God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. Do you hear what he's saying? This is a guy that was heavily involved as a monk, a priest, fastings, prayers, the whole thing, until God opened his eyes and he realized that, you know, it's all about faith. In in a common laborer who does their work with faith in God is more significant than a monk or a priest who goes through all the trappings of religion but lacks faith. Everything we do is important. What you do is important, but it has to be done by faith in God. Faith in God. Oz Guinness takes this thought and he, he, he takes it a step further. Listen to what he says. If all that a believer d- does, believer, you, me, everybody in the room, grows out of faith and is done for the glory of God, then all dualistic distinctions are demolished. 
There is no higher, lower, sacred, secular, perfect, permitted, contemplative, active, or first or second class. You see what he's talking about? We, we divide everything up into secular, sacred. You know, well, here's, here's my sacred life and here's my secular life. This is what I do for a living and this is where I go to church. No, no, no. You get rid of all that. It, you get rid of it. Calling is the premise of Christian existence itself. It's my existence. I am called. It's me. It's, it's all me. Calling means that everyone, everywhere, and in everything fulfills his or her secondary callings in response to God's primary calling. Every one of us, in everything we do, whatever you do for a living, for Luther, the peasant and the merchant, for us, the business person, the teacher, the factory worker, the television anchor, can do God's word or fail to do it just as much as the minister and the missionary. See, we've got to break down this whole dualistic idea that, hey, Ted's called to the ministry, does a great job, that's why I go to this church, because, he, man, he can really teach the Word, and he's, he's, man, no, no, no. You're called to the ministry. I'm called to the ministry. We all are called and can do God's Word or fail to do it as much as a minister or anybody else. So... Secondary calling is pretty critical. Well, the next little bit, what I want to talk to you about is, is a calling for you and I to take a stand. Uh, th- this takes it a little bit deeper, a little bit more intense for many of us. But I think we'd all agree that we, we live in difficult days. These are interesting times that we live in, in a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, we see it in the media. Uh, we see it happening around us. And, you know, it's not news to us. The scriptures tell us that this is going to be the case. Second Timothy says this. Understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, Opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. I don't know about you, but this sounds like the culture in which we live. We live in difficult days. We have all these things in spades happening all around us in America. And yet we have what is we're told is a growing and increasing spiritual awareness in our country. People are more and more interested in spiritual things. It kind of started with 9-11 and it's, it's continued. But do we really see a whole lot going on and changing? The culture is not getting better. It's getting worse. And so you and I are called. Here's just a few things we've been called to. We're called to be salt and light. You and I are are to be influencers in this culture. And man, you look around and go, man, I don't think I can influence anything. I have a hard time influencing my kids, let alone the culture. But you're called to be salt and light. Not just me, not just Ted, but every one of you. You're called to the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? You and I are called to help reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. We're to introduce people to Christ so so that they can be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ with God the Father. That's our job. Man, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not called to be an evangelist. 
It doesn't matter. You're called to be a reconciler. You're called to stand firm. There's so many passages that have to do with this. Stand firm. It was a favorite phrase of Paul. Plant your feet, stand firm, quit running, and be a man. Be a man. We're called to resist the enemy. And we're told if we resist him, he'll flee from us. But sometimes we just embrace him. No, we're called to something greater. We're called to fight the good fight. Again, favorite phrase of Paul, fight the good fight. Get in there. Get in the game. Fight. Stand. So that's going to take courage. If we're going to stand against this culture, and man, we've got to, because this culture is coming at us full force, full steam. We got to take, it's going to take some incredible courage. Over in 2 Timothy, we see that we're called, our calling is a holy calling. Look at that, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young kid in the faith who's trying to serve the Lord, trying to do the right thing, and he's, he's mentoring him. Look at verse 8, chapter 2, or chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works and not according to anything I've done, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Our calling is a holy calling. Our calling is completely God's doing. It's not according to, man, I earned it. God looked down and saw Ken Miller and went, man, I got to have that guy on my team. Now, if anything, God looked down and went, oh, gosh. You know, were you ever the kid in, in grade school that when they were choosing teams for like PE and stuff and you're going to play touch football and were you usually the one that was last? You know, it's not a fun place, let me tell you. You know, when they're, they're choosing teams and there's the A team and the B team and, you know, you're in the crowd of kids, there's the captains and they're going, I'll take him and I'll take him and I'll take him and you're, you're kind of, you know, and then you look and there's nobody else left and, well, I'll, t- I'll take him. That's not what God did, you know. But in a way, I had no more to offer God than I did either one of those teams. God chose me, not because of me, but in many ways in spite of me. It's all his doing. And this is the bad news. This is the part we don't really talk about, preach about, think about. It will bring some form of suffering at some point. I haven't suffered greatly for my faith. I haven't been beaten. I haven't been robbed. I haven't been put in jail. I haven't been abused. But suffering is linked to the walk with Christ, the calling of Christ. Paul talks about it with Timothy. We're also called to stand. And this is where I want to close this morning. Over in Acts chapter 6, if you got a chance to do your homework, you spent a little time in these passages, and we're just going to blow through them this morning. But Acts chapter 6 tells the story of an incredible young man, another young man, who God used in an incredible way, but only for a very short period of time. And we look at his life and we think, God, Lord, why? Why did you take this guy at such a young age? He seemed to have so much to offer. 
But it's a story of Stephen. And Stephen, like you and I, was called for a reason. God called this young man to himself for a reason. And I don't think he had a clue initially what that reason was for. And like you and I, he called him to represent him on this earth, his kingdom on earth. Stephen was called for a purpose. He had a primary call in his life as well as a secondary call. We don't know what Stephen did for a a living. We're not told in scripture. But I know this, he wasn't a paid professional preacher. He was just a young man who wanted to be used of God and was used of God. We see it all through his life. Because first and foremost, this young guy was called to a relationship. We see that in in Acts chapter 6. It says, verse 5, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They were looking for men to help minister to widows who were in need. And they were going to disseminate funds to these widows. And they wanted to make sure it was done equally well. And so the apostles, who needed to spend more time on prayer and spiritual leadership of the church, looked for some men. And they looked around the church. It'd be like coming into this crowd and going, okay, we need to find some guys. And here's what they looked for. They chose Stephen because he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. It says he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we don't know a whole lot about this guy except some of these facts. But again, this guy was not a seminary trained paid professional. He was just one of the guys. It says he was full of grace and full of power. That's what attracted them to this guy. It says his face was like that of an angel. He, he glowed with the presence of Christ. So what did, what did he have? He obviously had the Holy Spirit within him, which means he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of grace. Where did that come from? Jesus Christ. So he had a relationship with the caller. And so when they go looking for these guys, man, Stephen, check this guy out. He goes on and says in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he spoke. When this guy spoke, he was so full of the Spirit of God that people just couldn't even, they couldn't debate with them. Could that be said of you and I? If somebody at work started to debate you about spiritual things or about salvation, could you hold your own? It's not going to come from just memorizing Scripture and the four spiritual laws. And, and it comes from the Spirit, the transforming work of God. So he was called to someone, but he was also called to serve. He was called to basically a food ministry. We told you guys about manpower, this ministry to widows. And I know some of you, they went right over your head. Widow. Well, no thanks. Seven o'clock Saturday morning. No thanks. Not going there. Not doing that. And that's okay. That's really between you and the Lord. But this is what this guy was called to. They said, hey, Stephen, you're full of grace, full of power, full of wisdom. You can speak eloquently. You're, you're pretty good. I want you to go serve widows. And what did he do? Fine. I'm all over it. Whatever you need me to do. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't done before crowds. He didn't get a whole lot of accolades. He didn't get up to stand and preach and teach and get. He just he served behind the scenes, behind the scenes. It was a simple work of love and compassion. Incredible guy filled with the spirit, full of love, full of compassion, serving widows behind the scenes. 
That's where it began. But watch what happens. It results in a secondary calling. His love for Christ results in a secondary calling. We're told later that he did great signs and wonders. And he started sharing the gospel. Here's this, for all practical purposes, he's probably a kid. You know, 17, 18, 19, 20. We don't know, but the impression is that Stephen was not an old gentleman. He was young in the faith and he was a young man. And he, but he was talking about the gospel everywhere he went. And he spoke the, tr- the truth boldly every chance he got. And it's going to get him in trouble. The same Holy Spirit that qualified him for his behind-the-scenes ministry with widows is what qualified him and empowered him for more visible service, service to God. See, it started behind the scenes. It'd be like teaching down in our children's uh, ministry. It'd be like serving on this widow's thing. It'd be like mentoring a young man. It, serving behind the scenes, and that's what qualified him and empowered him to do greater things. And he did do greater things. That's what chapter 7 is all about. You see, he was in love with God. That's where this all began for Stephen. And that's where it all begins for you and I. Because it was his relationship with God that qualified him for service for God. You know, the church needs, doesn't need any more men or women out there doing, trying to do great things for God who don't even have a vibrant relationship with God. Because lost people look at that and go, not interested. It's a crock. I see right through it. You have nothing more than what I have, so get out of my face and go away. What they're interested in is someone who has a vibrant, loving relationship with God. When he humbly surrendered to God, God was able to use him. In incredible ways. I don't think Stephen had an inkling of an idea what was going to happen. See, the, the disciples didn't call this kid to preach. They called him to serve, serve widows. But God, because of his heart, used him to do even greater things. Wasn't called to preach. He was called to live out his primary calling. My relationship with God. I love him so much, I can't help talking about him. Everywhere I go, in every context, everything. Hey, i got to tell you about my God. And that's what he did. That's what chapter 7 tells us about. Well, actually, starting in verse 8, he starts talking to this crowd about God. And he tells, he basically preaches the same sermon that Peter preached chapters earlier in the book of Acts. And he's totally unashamed of the gospel. He just starts telling the gospel story, starting with Abraham and working his way forward to Jesus Christ because he's talking to Jews. Let me ask you this. What it resulted for in this guy was he was stoned to death. Whoa, not going there. I don't think Stephen knew he was going to get stoned to death. All he knew was, I love Jesus Christ, I'm going to serve him in any way that I can, and I'm going to talk about him everywhere I can, and God used him. Well, you say, well, how did he use him? He got stoned to death. Because of the persecution of Stephen, and you remember who was standing there holding the robes of the people who stoned him? Saul, who would later become Paul. And the scriptures go on and tell us that because of the persecution on this young man, that the Christians scattered all throughout the known region. 
What was the result of that? The spread of the gospel. God's plan was to use the life of this man to create a tidal wave and the church spread and the gospel moved out. Far faster, far greater than it would have in any other way. God used this young man. What's your calling? You know your primary calling. At least I hope you do by now. What's your secondary calling? What do you do for a living? Your husband? Your father? Grandfather? Are you doing those things for him? To bring glory to him? Is your calling impacting the way you live your life? Is it, is it permeating every sphere of your life, your home life, your work life, your personal life, everything you do? Are you living as his representative everywhere you go? Is his Holy Spirit filling you and empowering you? And is your life characterized by grace and wisdom? Are these things true in your life? Is what you do motivated and controlled by what you are? It should be. This is what it's all about, guys, to be called of God. To be called by Him, to be called to Him. Every area of our lives. We should be like Stephen. I look around the room, and man, there's a guy that's just, he's in love with God. I want him on the team. I want him to help serve. I want him to... There's a guy who's in love with God. There's a guy who's in love with God. And it's permeating every sphere of your life. And I'm here to tell you, when we, myself included, fall more in love with Jesus Christ, we will be used incredibly by him. And we won't have to worry about what is it we need to do. We'll be doing it. And God will use it. But let me leave you this last question. Is it time for you to take a stand? What is God calling you to take a stand in? It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some guts. And it's going to take full, complete reliance on Him. This world, this community, is going to hell in a handbasket. Why are you here Why has God placed you here? Why has God left you here? You are to be salt. You are to be light. You are to be an influence. You are to be a reconciler. You are to be God's hand and feet in this world. That's how he has chosen to do it. I don't understand it. I don't even fully agree with it. But that's his plan. And he wants to use every single man in this room. Are you ready? Let me close this in prayer. Would you stand with me? Well, Father, we come to you this morning and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you want to use us. I also know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have given us your Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us just like Stephen. And Father, I pray that you would raise up in this room a host of Stevens. Men who are so in love with you and so full of the Holy Spirit that we are serving and loving behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, 
we are just serving you because we love you. And we are talking about you. And we are willing to step up and speak out boldly about the things of God. Because we love you and we love the world. A world that is dying, Father. Raise up Stevens in this room. Men who are bold. Men who believe what they say they believe and live it out. And Father, may it permeate every area of our lives. Forgive us, Father, for compartmentalizing our spiritual life. We are spiritual beings. And Father, may we live like spiritual beings. I ask, Father, that you would motivate every man in this room, myself included, to become the Stevens of the 21st century. That through our lives, this community could be radically changed. And if that means we have to suffer, help us to embrace it. Help us to embrace it. Father, bless these men. Work in their lives. I pray, Father, that whatever is going on in their lives, if there is a struggle, if there is a trial, if there is an issue going on in their lives right now, may they wrap their arms around it and thank you for it and ask you to use it to transform them into the men that you want them to be. Help us not to pray it away, but to allow you to use it to change us and to lean on you more and more. Father, we love you and we give you the rest of this day. Maybe you be glorified by our lives. And I pray this in your